It's a great pleasure to be here and to see so many of you here for this study this morning. Um, everywhere I go in Australia, and almost everywhere that I've been in the US these last six weeks, I've come across the same problem with people. Um, it doesn't come out immediately, but I start talking with people. And there's something that it lies on the hearts of people uh, and they, when they open up. What's the problem that I see? Everywhere, people who are faithful Christians who go to church are frustrated. They're frustrated by something that's quite simple. And yet they don't know what to do. The problem's this. And it's a problem that I face with my own friends, own family. The problem is that they have children and grandchildren, members of their family, who no longer go to church. Don't you all have that same problem? Um, and this is particularly painful for parents and grandparents. Um, children who've been baptized and no longer go to church. Maybe grandchildren who are not even baptized let alone go to church. What on earth can we as Christians do about that? Very often we act inappropriately and you've all probably fallen into that trap. The normal thing that we try to do is to f use some forms of form of persuasion. So we're, we twist the arms of our children, we bribe them, we cajole them, we badger them or we Bible bash them in order to get them back to church. And they come occasionally, for special occasions, but it doesn't make any difference. In fact, I reckon that most, in most cases, our efforts seem to be counterproductive. The more we try to persuade our brothers, sisters, children, grandchildren to come to church, the more we seem to drive them away. It's not just that, but everywhere I go, and it's, it surprised me here in the US, people feel that the church is declining because uh, attendance of church is dropping. And this means basically that there's no future, there's no hope for the church. Um, and people everywhere are prepared to take all sorts of desperate measures to try and revive the church, as if we can revive the church. And as if Christ has not said the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But what is it that we can do as Christians to bring these people that are dear to us, back to Christ. Well, it's quite simple. We can pray for them. We can pray for them. We can go to church for them. That's what I want to uh, unpack for you today. And as I go, if you have questions or remarks or comments, please put up your hand. I'm uh, quite happy to field, with them, field them as we go. I don't know whether you've ever noticed something rather strange 
in all the Gospels. Have you noticed how frequently Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John mention the fact that people brought other people to Jesus? How frequently um, that occurs. Uh, We have the year of Mark, and I've given you a whole lot of references there in Mark of occasions when people, some people, brought other people to Jesus. And it's a whole range of uh, people. Sometimes they were members of the family, sometimes they were sick people, uh, sometimes they were demon-possessed people. But people brought other people to Jesus. And there's two occasions where um, somebody comes to Jesus. In fact, it's not even a Jew. On both of these occasions, it's a Gentile. A person who's not a Jew has no right to come to Jesus. It doesn't belong to Israel. They come to Jesus and they pray to Jesus on behalf of somebody else. They don't even bring them physically to Jesus. They just come to Jesus and they say, fix this up for me. Two occasions that strike me. The one occasion is when a Roman centurion came for his paralyzed servant and asked Jesus to heal this guy. Roman centurion asking Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant. And what does Jesus say? He says, I tell you the truth. I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. What great faith? How did he use his faith in Jesus? He came to Jesus and he prayed to Jesus to heal his paralyzed servant who had no hope of healing from a human point of view. Another occasion is even more remarkable and you heard about this. Um, uh, if you, do you have the three electionary? Yes, you do. I shouldn't have from today. Um, A couple of Sundays ago, you have the story of a Syrophoenician woman, a woman who's a pagan, who comes to Jesus and begs Jesus to heal her demon-possessed daughter. Remember that story? And Jesus seems to put her off for a while. And then at the end of the story, Jesus says, Woman, you have such great faith. You have great faith. What was her faith? The faith that came to Jesus and prayed to Jesus for the daughter who couldn't come to Jesus. She prayed on behalf of her daughter and Jesus answered her prayer. One of the... um, Yes, back there. (laughs) Yes. uh, Yes. Yes. Was the faith that Jesus was just a great miracle worker? Because they, the profession of faith is you can heal them, but not necessarily that he was the Son of God. Mm-hmm. So was that sufficient faith that Jesus was all powerful? Yeah, sometimes we, we get too tied up with, and this is particularly so with. Um, American Protestantism, and it's one of the problems with it, is that we talk whether a person has real faith or sufficient faith or great faith, um, and they misunderstand what great faith is. Um, uh, look, we don't know. Uh, but the important thing is not why she believed, but what's important? She believed, and not just thought, oh yes, Jesus is the healer, that's groovy. 
that's okay, that's nice. But what did she do? Even if she didn't know who Jesus was, even if it was not the right motive, she came and she prayed to Jesus. And by praying to Jesus, in her action, she acknowledged that he was what? God, Son of God, divine. Because who's the only person who can drive out demons? God. Who's the only person who can heal a guy who's been paralyzed from birth? Only God can do that. Um, So uh, uh, both of these come to Jesus, and the important thing is not why they come to Jesus or how strong or weak their faith is. The important thing is that they prayed to Jesus. And this is something that I've um, uh, been humbled by I don't know how many occasions now in my ministry I've heard stories about people who are unbelievers and not just not so much in Australia but in the third world calling on Jesus. Hindus, Muslims, Buddhists, animists calling on Jesus and Jesus remarkably hearing their prayer. In most cases they knew little or nothing about Jesus. They didn't have all the theory but what did they do? They prayed to Jesus, and um, Jesus heard their prayers. And that's the beginning of their journey with Jesus. Yes, back there. Um, the business of prayer to Jesus, I think, is, is very interesting because really prayer, as you're saying, is just nothing more than speaking to Jesus, right? Speaking to Jesus. That in itself is praying to Jesus. When they came and talked to him, they were praying to Jesus. Let's not get too complicated with this. Prayer is asking Jesus for what you need or what other people need. It's making a request to Jesus. Okay, I'm sick. I know somebody's a doctor. I just don't engage in conversation with him, but I ask him to diagnose me and cure me. Uh, And in that way, I show my faith in him. I might know what his credentials are, I mightn't know the full story of what kind of a doctor he is or how he heals me. The important thing is that I ask him. I trust him and I ask him to heal me. Now for me, one of the most remarkable stories um, that deals with this is the story from Mark chapter 2 that we had earlier on this year. The story of how four friends or group of friends brought a lame man to Jesus As I read this, look for what's unexpected, surprising in this story. And when I've read it, I'll I'll ask the question, what struck you as being utterly surprising in this story? Mark 2, 1 to 12. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come to his house. So many people gathered that there was no room left, not even at the door. And he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, that's a person who can't walk, who's paralyzed, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, 
your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like this? Oh, like that. He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat and walked out in full view of him, of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we've never seen anything like this. What's unusual, unexpected about this story? Yep. They didn't ask him for anything. Jesus saw their faith in action. So yes. Jesus speaks first. Jesus speaks before they even ask anything. What do they do? They just dig a hole in the roof. Think of a Palestinian roof with a flat house made of clay. They dug and Jesus is talking and all of a sudden the uh, uh, no, dirt comes down and he steps back and the people create a space because there's stuff falling down. You know, bricks coming from the ceiling. The ceiling's collapsing on them. So a hole's opened up. Everybody opens and lo and behold, this guy is lowered. Um, they don't ask for anything. They merely place this man at Jesus' feet. Surprise number one. What's another surprise? Yep. Their perseverance in that they didn't leave after they couldn't get in. Yep. They thought of another way to Yeah, they wouldn't take any, you know, even though there were so many obstacles which stood in their way, they found a way of doing what? Getting of getting this guy to Jesus. <laughs> Number two. Number three. Yes? He forgives the sins of the paralytic because of the faith of the poor guy. Okay, look. Because of their faith. Yeah. That's the most unusual thing of all. Normally Jesus uh, heals because of the faith of the person who requires the healing. But this is the only occasion where uh, uh, Jesus heals because of the faith of someone else. It's, um, the story doesn't say this paralytic had faith, but when Jesus sees, and only Jesus can see this, when Jesus sees the faith of those four guys, and they're not the only ones, there's other people who come, a whole congregation comes, and they bring this guy to Jesus, Jesus sees their faith, um, and then he therefore forgives sins. Uh, he answers them on the basis of their faith rather than the faith of this guy who from all intents and purposes has no faith in Jesus anything else that's unusual yep most of us ask for a sign God tell us show us yes. give us something solid and here they does right in their faces and they don't understand that he's God yes that, that, that's, but that's common throughout all the New Testament Okay, so that's, not, that's unusual from our point of view, but not uncommon with the gospel stories, yes? And in the face of, in the, in the face of unfaith, yes. he did something even greater. That's right. Good. Yes? 
Do you have a hand up? No, oh, you're, you're just waving your hand at me. <laughs> Hello there. Yes. Hi. Yes. Yeah. Okay, how stupid can you get? Everybody knows what this guy's problem. What's his problem? He's paralyzed. And Jesus, you know, sometimes Jesus does odd things. He says, uh, look, your sins are forgiven. Duh. Doesn't he know what's wrong with this guy? Can you see? That's funny. But uh, you see, the friends bring their, their, their friend to Jesus. They think, they're not sure what the problem is. They think they know what the problem is, but they don't really know what the problem is. Only Jesus knows what the problem is. That the real problem wasn't his lameness, but his the guilt from sin. And that uh, resulted in unbelief. Amazing. Um, there's lots of other things here in this story um, uh, that are, are, are surprising. The other surprising thing that I'd like to touch on, just from the of, uh, when Jesus asked this, this question, it's a bit of a riddle, a trick question, which is the easier thing to say, your sins are forgiven? Notice it's to say, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk? From a human point of view, which is the easier? Your sins are forgiven because you can't see whether they're forgiven or not. Only God knows whether the sins are forgiven. And as the Pharisees are right, only God can forgive sins. So from a human point of view, that's the easier thing to say. But from God's point of view, which is the easier thing to say? Get up and walk. The greatest miracle of all is the forgiveness of sins. There is no miracle greater than that. Um, There's no miracle that's greater than to say, and not only to say, your sins are forgiven, but to actually forgive sins. Only God can do that. No one else can. Okay, then, what does this story have to say about the dilemma that we face about friends who are unbelievers? Um, Can I just uh, unpack that now in the time that remains? First of all, notice uh, the reference to the fact that Jesus is in his house, in the house of Jesus. Now, anybody, Mark wrote this for people, Christians in Rome, they didn't assemble in buildings like this. Do you know where they assembled? In homes, houses. So they had house churches, and uh, uh, there were churches that were originally houses, that people lived in and eventually then um, they were used exclusively for worship. So anybody hearing this story in Rome or anywhere in the ancient world, when they hear about Jesus in his house preaching and people gathering to hear Jesus would think of what? They'd think of what we would say, church. So uh, this is church. This is the divine service. Okay? Okay. Uh, That's what they think of, and rightly so. Um, Notice the emphasis here on what's Jesus doing? He's in the house and he is preaching God's word. He's preaching God's word and people gather to hear God's word. That's the situation. Now, put yourself in the shoes of that cripple. Um, Even if he wanted to, what couldn't that cripple do? He couldn't go where? He couldn't go to the house. He couldn't come to Jesus. 
That's his basic problem. Even if he had the desire to do it, he didn't have the legs to carry him to Jesus. But who had legs? The four friends. And they lose, use their legs and their hands to bring him to Jesus. Now, I don't know whether uh, 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 you realize that unbelievers and people who have a bad conscience are spiritual cripples. They are like that lame man. An unbeliever can't come to Jesus. Why? He has no faith. Only faith gives you access to Jesus. So they're in an impossible situation. Even if they want to come to Jesus, they can't come to Jesus. Unbelievers. Um, or take somebody, uh, uh, even a little bit uh, uh, more difficult, people who've got a bad conscience. If you think of those children, grandchildren of yours who've drifted away from the church, maybe they've got involved in bad stuff, sexual stuff. How do they feel? Hmm? Awful. Awful. They've got a bad conscience. They feel unclean. And that drives them away from who? From God, from Jesus. So uh, uh, they won't come to Jesus because if they come to Jesus, if they come to ch- church, what will they hear? You're a sinner. You're a sinner and you have... And, no, they won't hear the but. They will hear you're a sinner and therefore you are guilty, guilty therefore you are condemned. Then you're going to die. You don't belong here. So what do they do? They stay away from church. It's not enough just to bring people to church who are unbelievers or who've got a bad conscience. That's the problem we face. Because by doing so, in fact, you make bad worse. You make bad worse. Uh, Okay, they are... uh, I don't know how many times I've heard people say, uh, both, uh, you know, lapsed Christians and unbelievers, I couldn't go to church. Why? The roof would fall they say it in joke as a joke but in fact it's serious it's awfully serious Um, the roof would fall in Um, they would come under God's judgment so what you do if you're guilty or have no faith you stay away from God that's the simple reality and guess who reinforces that and says You'll not only don't stay away from God, you haven't got faith, you'll come into judgment and you will die. Sometimes preachers give that message, but who's the one who reinforces it in their conscience is the evil one, Satan. That's the way the devil works. The devil's got onto their hearts and consciences. Well, what can you do in this situation? You can do what these friends did. Notice these friends have faith in Jesus. These friends have access to Jesus. These friends have access to God's grace, God's forgiveness, God's help that comes to people through Jesus. So they use their faith in Jesus, their access to Jesus for the benefit of this guy who can't bring himself to Jesus. And that's what we do when we pray for other people. When we pray for other people, we use our faith the faith that we have in Jesus, the access that we have to God the Father, His grace, His mercy, His forgiveness for their benefit. 
And we do what these, these friends did to their crippled friend. We bring them to Jesus and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. Now, um, we might know what's wrong with them. Say, for example, if my kids drift away from the church um, and my grandchildren are unbaptized, it's not given for me to see why my kids don't come to church. In fact, the more I pry and probe in their lives, the more they'll clam up and the less I'll discover. I don't know what they need from Jesus, but I do know one thing, that if they aren't coming to church, if they aren't coming to Holy Communion, what do they need? They need Jesus. And only Jesus can help them. Only Jesus can help them, whatever the situation is. And it's not for me to tell Jesus what he has to do. These friends didn't even tell Jesus what he had to do. They merely did what? They placed this guy at the feet of Jesus because they had the confidence that Jesus would know what was wrong with this guy. They had the confidence that Jesus would know not only what was wrong with this guy, but would do, know what to do to fix things up for them and for him. And that's what Jesus does. He diagnoses the problem as not being a cripple, but having no faith. When we pray for others, we use our access to the means of grace. We use our access to heaven here on earth. We use our access to God the Father for their benefit, for the benefit of others. Isn't that wonderful? Um, prayer is the exercise of our faith in Jesus for ourselves and for others. So uh, I don't know whether you've noticed how frequently in the gospel stories in the New Testament, um, Jesus uh, uh, says to people, uh, your faith has saved you. Have you noticed that? Like these stories, great is your faith or not in Israel, have I found faith in this? But most commonly, Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Do you know what those people, each person that Jesus says, your faith has saved you, do you know what they've done? They have faith in Jesus and they use their faith in Jesus to ask him for something. Their faith is praying faith. Do you realize that there's a close and almost inseparable connection between Faith and prayer. Faith and prayer. Um, in all the years I've been a pastor, I've seen many people come to faith in Jesus. They come in many, dif for, for in many different journeys and in many different ways. But in each case, the uh, point where, the, the turning point, is when they for the first time address Jesus and ask Jesus for Help. It can be the simplest prayer, just saying, Jesus, help me. Jesus, save me. Jesus, forgive me. Um, but in each case, um, the you know, the, the, if you like, the beginning of their faith is the beginning of them praying. Do you know the reverse is also true? What for me is the surest sign that somebody's lost their faith? They stop praying. Not rocket science, it's quite simple. Um, there's a, 
close connection between faith and prayer. Um, you see, um, using the example of the doctor, um, now having faith is not just believing um, that something's true, um, but it means putting your trust in somebody. Let's say, for example, I've got a bad cancer. And I happen to hear that in Adelaide, the city where I live, there's a, a remarkable surgeon who has had a great success rate. In fact, he's the best guy, in, not in Australia, but in the world. Uh, he's the best guy for healing cancer. Okay, um, I've heard that and I put my faith in him. Do I just say, okay, yeah, this guy uh, heals cancer. That's good. What will I do if I have faith? I'll go to him and I'll get him to diagnose my problem exactly and I'll submit myself to him, trust, my, trust in him and ask in him to heal me whatever he needs to do. Faith and prayer go together um, in the Christian faith. So I would urge each one of you to use your faith for the benefit of others. Just think for a moment... Who are the people that God has placed in your life, in your family, in your immediate circle around you, who are unbelievers or who have drifted away from God? Who are the people that you know um, their faith is crumbling and they're under attack? Just think for a moment, who are they? Make a list of them. Do you know what you're called to do as a Christian? To... Pray for them. Pray for them by name. Um, and not just to pray for them, but to use your going to church to bring um, them to Jesus. So, um, uh, if you like, and this is rather strange and odd, I don't just go to church for myself. I go to church for dozens of people every Sunday. And it's good for me now because I don't have to take services every Sunday. I can be just in the position of most of you guys. Um, I go to church, not for, just for myself, but for all my family and all those people that I know who uh, God has placed in my life, who've lost their faith or are losing their faith, whose faith is under attack. But most of them, most of all, those who don't believe. I bring them and I place them at the feet of Jesus. Luther uses a remarkable picture. He says that in, we, we can, in prayer, piggyback others into the presence of Jesus. We can piggyback others into uh, the heavenly sanctuary as we come to Holy Communion. Piggybacking, you know, is that an American term? You know, a child can't walk, so what do you do? You pick them up and carry them. You carry them on your back. I mean, if they're smaller, you can carry them in your, your, your arms, but if they're bigger, you carry them on your back. So you can piggyback others each Sunday as you come to Holy Communion. By doing that, you do exactly what these four friends did for their paralyzed friend. You bring them and lay them at the feet of Jesus. So I'd encourage you all to attend church, not just for yourself, but others. Uh, practice vicarious church attendance. <laughs> vicarious means for somebody else. 
So what do I do um, as I prepare myself every Sunday to go to church? Okay? Uh, well, yes, I do the same thing that my wife does for me when she sends me shopping. <laughs> now, you need to know that I am... I, you know, I, I don't believe in shopping therapy. In fact, shopping is an untherapy for me. Uh, it really uh, 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 is bad for me, and it brings out all the worst characteristics, the many worst characteristics that are part of my character. Um, so I'd prefer not to ever to have to do any shopping. I regard it as an annoyance, a waste of time. On the other hand, my wife loves shopping, which makes for a good marriage. <laughs> however, however, there are times when I, she can't go shopping. She's too busy and see, she sends me shopping. Now, she's learned from bitter experience that um, she, if she gives me a list, no, if she gives me, tells me, now, John, I want you to go to this place and to go down that aisle to get this, there's that special, and then I want you to get this, 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 this. Do you know what's going to happen as soon as I come to the... Market, supermarket or whatever? You'll forget it all. I'll forget it all. I, but even if I remember, I'll buy the wrong brand. <laughs> or I'll spend half the day looking for something that's not in that shop. <laughs> so do you know what she does? She doesn't just tell me to go shopping, but she prepares a shopping list for me. Um, so that I, I do what I need to do for her. Now, in the same way, every Sunday I prepare a shopping list, uh, as it were, a prayer list of the people that I want to piggyback into church. And I look particularly over the past week, who are the people that God has placed in my life with their needs? Particularly, who are the people, the unbelievers or people who've drifted away from faith that I've confronted with? or that I've heard about via the normal Lutheran grapevine and also the other grapevines, uh, the family grapevines. So I prepare this shopping list and when I uh, uh, go to communion, I pray for these people. It's a very simple prayer. I just pray, pray for them and place them at the feet of Jesus and I leave them there. I go to Holy Communion for others. I piggyback others into heaven itself um, when I go to communion. Now just think, um, if all of you brought 10 people each Sunday to church in this way, just think of how big the congregation would be. And think of the effect that would have on people's lives and on the community around you. How what is the basis, the foundation uh, for faith? Bringing people to faith. You don't argue people to faith. You don't even preach people to faith. How do you do? You pray people to faith. Going back to uh, what I discovered in my own ministry, in each case where I had the privilege of catechizing or baptizing somebody, um, there was only one thing that all of them had in common. Do you know what that one thing was? Somebody had been praying for them. Might have been grandmother, Christian friend, an auntie, a mother, 
very often mothers, uh, somebody had been praying for them. And that was one of the most significant reasons for their coming to faith. We pray people to faith. And secondly, um, all of you are concerned about uh, evangelism, I think, bringing the gospel to other people. Um, and that's very important. But you know what the foundation for all church growth or evangelism is? Intercessory prayer. I could speak a lot about that, but I'm just throwing that in as a little side thing. How's time? My time's nearly up. Uh, can I just pause here for a moment for questions? I don't want you to misunderstand me, but I want to encourage each one of you um, to at least start little. Next Sunday, or if you're coming now, for those of you coming to the second service, bring, let's just bring two people to Jesus and place them at the feet of Jesus today as he come to church. And maybe then next Sunday a few more. And keep your eyes open to the people that uh, uh, God puts across your path this coming week. Yes? Yeah. Uh, look, you can, pray, you can pray to any of the three persons of the Trinity. Um, keep it simple and uh, no, uh, pray either to Jesus or to God the Father. doesn't matter which. And you don't have to um, you know, specify exactly what you want. It can be very simple. Okay, now I have a daughter-in-law who is a Baha'i, married to a dear son of mine, and... Uh, they have three children who are not baptized, something that grieves me no end. So what do I pray when I go to Holy Communion? Jesus, please give her faith. Right? It's simple that. Or God the Father, please give her your Holy Spirit. Uh, there's no such spiel. Um, the important thing is that you come to God the Father or come to Jesus and you ask him to deal with the problem. You refer the matter to him. You don't try and fix it up for yourself. You don't tell him what to do, but you refer the person on. So it's a bit like me going to a doctor. I've got a complicated problem. He refers me to a specialist. So I'm in the position of referring people to the only specialist. <laughs> yes? In the text that you gave us, you made it, you made it clear beyond doubt the, the importance of bringing people to Jesus in prayer, but also in the text that you gave us, how is it? Is it not a physical bringing? I mean, the, the faithful men here actually brought him physically to yes. church. Yes. So is it not a physical bringing also? Or? Um, no, because there's remember the stories where people, you know, there's occasions where people do it physically, and that's what we do when, and we're going to have a baptism this this second service. This child doesn't have faith, so what are the parents doing? What are the godparents doing? They're using their faith to bring the child to Jesus so that Jesus can give this dear child faith, um, can bring his blessing to them. Um, so, yeah, there's occasions where you do it physically, but the important thing isn't that you do it physically, but that you use your faith to pray. And in most cases, uh, you won't be able to bring people. I can't bring my daughter-in-law to church. I can't even bring her children to church physically. They come occasionally, 
um, but I can't bring them there uh, physically, but I can bring them there in faith spiritually. Right? Um, that's, that's very important. Yes, somewhere. Yes. Um, <coughs> I have a question. My, my um, sister-in-law is dying. Yes. But she didn't go to church. Yes. But she knows that <coughs> we are praying, that I'm yes. praying for yes. her. Yes, yes. So last time when I talked with my brother, he said, um, so God cannot do anything. He can't do anything because uh, why? You know. Because she doesn't have faith. She's yeah, dying. And now we expect that something happens. Okay. Um, something's going to happen. Um, you pray for a healing. Do you realize the physical healings that we have are only partial and temporary? All of us are sick. All of us are healed in a partial way. But when does the full healing come? at the resurrection. So pray for her. Pray for her to have faith. Pray for her healing. Uh, uh, pray for God to have mercy on her. And don't let anybody stop you praying for her. Please, please continue that. God will hear that prayer. Um, I haven't got time to look at it, but just look at that f- passage in 1 John chapter 5. That's the word of uh, God to you in your situation. 1 John chapter 5, it's there. Somebody else I saw. Yes, back there. Uh, oh, yes. 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 Badgering Jesus. Yes. Yes. Corporately, I guess what I'm asking is a question is, you know, the prayers of a righteous man of yes, God, yeah. what about the prayers of a whole bunch of Christian prayers? Prayer? Yes, and, and they avail even more. Um, the prayer of the church is the strongest force, spiritual force in the universe. And that's why we pray corporately. Notice this story. It wasn't one guy that brought this lame man to Jesus. And it wasn't just four guys, but they, they came with a circle of other guys. So it's corporate. They exercise their corporate prayer. Um, and we need to do much more of this in the church. That's my conviction. Uh, uh, I don't know whether you realize, but um, uh, there's a big problem in churches in, in the whole of the West. Christians have stopped praying. Congregations have stopped praying. You go from, say, Australia, America, Europe, to Africa and Asia, and you know what strike you straight away about all the churches there? Prayer. Prayer. They are praying congregations. That's the big difference. And uh, I, I think more than anything else, we need to hear the invitation, the call to prayer, the gift of prayer uh, 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 to deal with these uh, problems. And if uh, you, uh, it's, it's not so difficult to pray for somebody who's sick, um, but it's very difficult to pray for other reasons um, uh, because of issues of privacy. 
and uh, uh, the problems that creates. But uh, 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 what I uh, would encourage you to do in this congregation is to set up a prayer group where people like you can come and bring these private requests that, that are a bit touchy and there's issues of privacy then in connected with it in order to pray for people in need. But please don't keep this to yourself. Um, if you ha- each one of you has this, ask each other to pray for each other. Um, that's the best thing that we can do for each other and with each other. Um, now, if you have trouble yourself, ask somebody in the church or your pastor to pray for you. And I think that basically is where I'll have to stop because I've got to preach the next service and some of you <laughs> have to turn up there. So let's, um, yes, uh, let's just do what I've told you to do and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, you're, you want us to come to you and to use our faith to ask for ourselves and for others. Teach us to pray not just for ourselves, but also for others. Encourage us to open our eyes to see the needs of those around us and to bring them and their needs to you. Pray particularly for those who are coming to to Holy Communion, the second service. Um, Guide them by your Holy Spirit to bring those people whom they know to Jesus so that he will deal with them. We commend ourselves to you and we ask for the gift of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.